It's great to be with you this morning. I'm excited to always be a part of uh, this service. You guys are great, man. You guys are so much fun. Uh, I'm Tim Gephardt. I'm from uh, Associate Minister here at Plainfield Christian Church, and I am the campus minister at uh, Plainfield Christian Church's Reunion Campus, which meets at the Plainfield Middle School. So it's just great to be with you today. I do ask you to be praying for Steve. Steve is actually in Georgia no, not Atlanta, Georgia, not the state of Georgia, but the country of Georgia. He is teaching there with some of our uh, partners with TCI out of Ukraine. They have work that's in Georgia, leadership development, and he is going in there and is in there actually right now as we speak. And my guess, he's uh, getting ready to go to bed here in a few hours, probably, uh, as it's later in the evening, about seven hours ahead of us. So pray, pray for him. He'll be there all week, teaching all week. He'll be back the following week. Uh, but please keep him in your prayers. I appreciate that. But it's great to be with you as we start this new series with, with uh, of with. All throughout this, this month, we're going to be journeying with Christ as he heads to the cross as all the encounters that we think of as we begin to prepare for this great celebration of Resurrection Sunday. I got a question for you. How many of you like food? Right? Don't you like to eat right now? I just said that, right? Lunch is coming, right? Right? How many of you are hungry right now? All of you are thinking about that? You already got lunch plans? You probably, some of you have got your apps out going, I'll just order it now. I'll tell them I'll pick it up at about 12, you know, when I get it done, see what it, you know what I'm saying? We're hungry. We, 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 we often think about food. How many of you love breakfast? How many are breakfast lovers? Okay, not that too bad. No shout outs even, so you're just average kind of, eh, breakfast, whatever. All right, how about lunch? How many of you love lunch? Well, there's not even, just put your hands down. You don't even do that. How many of you love dinner? There you go. There you go. Lunch has like been the third all the way around. No one likes lunch whatsoever. Uh, just get through the day. Right. You know, we, we do love food. And I, what I love about Jesus when he was on this earth is he loved to eat. Have you ever noticed that? Have you just read through the Gospels and like circled every meal like he had with people? He ate a lot, man. He was eating it up. He was eating with all kinds of people. He was eating with people that, that we would probably not even be comfortable with. That's where he was hanging out. And he was loving on people, and he was revealing himself to them. Matter of fact, the religious folks looked down on their nose on Jesus because who he ate with. And it's just quite interesting. But he, all kinds of things happened around dinner tables. You know, even for us, when we stop and think about it, a lot of things happen at dinner tables. It's good. I hopefully, I hope I'm challenging you. This is a side note, sidebar to sermon. So I'll step up. I hope you are designating some meals to eat as a family, man. It's important. It really is. It's, it, I know everybody's schedule is busy. It's hard to get a time. Try to do it more often. Put the phones down. Talk to each other. Have conversations. A lot of healthy things happen. If you want things in your relationship with your marriage or your kids or your home life want to change, this is one simple thing you can do, and it can actually create a change. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know. You're saying, Tim, you do not know my household. You think it's all this cute little things we're going to set at the table and all be nice and all that. No, 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 no. I know what happens at your dinner table. I don't want that. I don't like that. I didn't ask for that. Oh, that's gross. You know, you complain about the meal. Then they start fighting and then food gets thrown everywhere and you're going, why am I even trying to do this? You know, like, ah, get out of here. Go, go grab your phones and get out of here, right? That's what we think of. Keep trying. I'm just telling you, it's a healthy thing. And meals change us. And that's why Jesus invites us. A matter of fact, this first dining with Jesus goes all the way back to an invitation in Revelation chapter 3. The last letter written to the church in Revelation 3. Do you remember the scene? Do you remember what Jesus says as it gets to the bottom of the letter? He says, I stand at the door and I knock. Right? Remember that text? I stand at the door and knock. And those who hear and open the door, I will come in and I will What? Sup, eat, dine, let's have food together, let's sit down. And Jesus says, I have an invitation for you. Will you let me in? 
Will you let me in so I can sit at your table and we can hang out and live life? And that's really the invitation today. I already got the invitation, should not even preach the rest of the sermon, just let you wrestle with that, right? Do I want Jesus in my space? And see, this Last Supper that we, we call the Last Supper of Jesus' life, before he's crucified, before he goes to the trial, before he goes to the garden, he has this Passover meal. And it's a meal that sets in context with the Jewish tradition, with the Jewish culture. And it's an important meal, one of the most important meals and to, the, to the nation of Israel because it took them too long ago. And so we want to join Jesus in this meal with his 12 disciples so we can sit there with them at this table. Would you please stand this morning as uh, God's word is read from Matthew 26, verses 17 through 30. Read along on your, on your, in your Bibles, your phones, whatever you want to use. Follow along as we read Matthew 26, 17 through 30. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparation for you to eat the Passover? And he replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi? Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You may be seated. If you're ever curious about what hymn they sang, I encourage you this week to read through Psalms 116, 117, and 118. It is denoted that that were the, the, the hymns that were sung at the end of the Passover. And when you read those in light of what was about to happen, it sheds a whole lot of light on those texts. I can't imagine uh, what that must have been like to sing those in his presence. But Jesus is at a dinner. He's with his 12 guys. They're here at this Passover meal, the celebration for the nation of Israel. And it was, a, it was really a, a dinner worth remembering. I'm sure you've got meals that you remember food that's been cooked by parents or grandparents and that smell and that, that, that fragrance that brings back some great, great memories, some laughter. The times or maybe you, you, the meal that you ate before you uh, proposed to your spouse and how important of a meal that was and how nervous you might have been. Food that you've tasted that you love and can't wait to have again. They, they're things that bring back memories and good memories. Well, the Passover meal was a meal of remembering is a meal of remembering what God had done for the nation of Israel, had done for the forefathers of these 12 disciples. 
that God had taken them from a place of slavery and brought them out and freed them by his power, by his love, by his grace, and by his mercy. And it was to remember that. So that's a good memory. The funny thing is that one of the things that's vital that the, the nation of Israel was to remember as a part of this meal was this bitterness. Now that's kind of an odd thing, right? Most of us, when we have memories, we take the bad things and we kind of like push them aside. We don't want to remember them. We don't want to remember those conversations. We don't want to remember that fight. We don't want to remember what that was like. We want to push all the bad and the negative and forget it. But God goes, no, I need you to remember this part. As a matter of fact, as a part of the meal, it was actually a bitter root. It was a part of what you ate. No fun. I can imagine what that was like around the table because this Passover Seder meal was family. It just wasn't adult meal. It was kids were around it, and they actually were telling the story through the meal of how God provided for the nation of Israel. And one of this part was this bitter root, and I can only imagine kids sitting around going, oh, mom, I don't want to eat this. Mom, no, 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 I hate this. Ooh, yuck. You know, I, you can see that playing out. And they were going like, oh, no, 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 you got to eat this. Now, if you want, what kind of bitter herbs was it? Well, more than likely, and what they use today, it's horseradish. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, I like, I do like some horseradish, like on Arby's, you know what I'm saying? And you take a bite, and right, what does it do? Like the sinuses go flaming, it's like, whoa, or maybe with shrimp cocktail, right, right? How many of you are going, yeah, give me some of that, there's somebody, somebody right, but that's, that's a bitterness. It has an after effect that isn't always that pleasant. And this is the point that God wants to remind us at this dinner table, even today, in the Lord's Supper. There's, there's something about the Lord's Supper that brings the bitterness. It's the brokenness. It's the hard times. It's, it's the cry for, why will this not go away? It's, it's the pain of our own sin, our own choices. It's, it's the pain of, of the, what we've placed on others. It is the conditions of our life and our soul that are not healthy, and it reminds us that I'm broken and I need something. It was this bitterness that generation after generation would take in order to remind them of their need for God. Do not miss this, church. Please, that the Lord suffers to remind us of your need, my need for Christ. If that ever fades away in our heart, if that ever fades away in your soul, it will leave you in a place you do not want to be. And so God said, remember the bitterness, but also remember the provision. Because the Passover meal was also about a lamb. As a matter of fact, in Egypt, God had, had come, and he had, even though they had cried for years, God provided them Moses who came and introduced them to this mighty God, Yahweh, and who was powerful and would set them free that they had been crying to. And in doing so, God began having plagues. And when he, each one of those plagues was not only to, to twist the arm of Pharaoh, not only the Egyptians, but it was to prove to the Israelites that their God was powerful, their God was loving, their God was the creator of heavens and earth, and he had control over things that no one else had control over. This was the God that was going to free them. And this was the God that on the 10th plague, it was the plague of death. And he told them that on this specific night, that the death angel would come over all of Egypt and the firstborn of all the Egyptian children, from the Pharaoh down to the, the slave, the, the one that no one knows, their oldest child will die this night. The weeping, the crying, the grief, as every household, every household was affected by the death angel that came over. 
None of them were spared, except for the nation of Israel, because God says there's a distinction. I will distinguish you as the Israelites from the Egyptians, and I will distinguish you by letting you know, letting you in on something that's vital and important. There's a way to escape the death angel. And this is what it requires. It requires you to take a lamb, a male lamb, a male lamb that does have, is not blemished, has no broken bones, has no skin disease, a healthy male lamb, and you're to take him and you're to sacrifice the lamb, and you're to take the blood of that lamb, and you're to take the blood and you're going to wipe it over the doorpost of your home. You're to go into your home with your family and you're going to prepare that lamb as a meal and you're going to eat this meal and you're going to take bread, but don't put yeast in the bread. There's no time for that. Because when this all comes down, God says, you need to be ready to leave. And so you need to have unleavened bread, bread with no yeast in it, that you can take it with you. And when you eat this meal, you're to take your cloak and you're to wrap it and you're to put it in your waistband because at any moment you're to leave and you need to be ready to leave in the run. It's not this, oh, we need to pack now. No, 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 no time for that. And it's in that moment God provided for them because when the death angel came, when that death angel came, Egypt began to mourn and to cry, but it says that those that were in Israel and of the household in the camps of Israel and where they lived, there was silence that even the dogs did not bark. What a contrast we see between the two. For those that were covered by the blood, found mercy, found peace, and I'm sure they had to wrestle with it. Because not only did they find God's provision in that, but they had to, to remember this, this Passover was about remembering their engagement in faith and obedience. Can you imagine getting instructions? Hey, go get a lamb, sacrifice it, put it on the doorstep. See, we look at that now from the cross and go, oh, that makes sense, right? They would have gone, huh? You want us to do what? You're telling me that God's gonna, God's gonna wipe out the firstborn? God wouldn't do that. God, God's, God's a loving God. God's, yeah, he said no, but he wouldn't judge, right? He wouldn't do that. Have you ever found your concept of God is often contrary to God's word? Have you ever found yourself thinking that, well, God wouldn't do, God won't do that. And I'm telling you through scriptures, we find out that God is a just God. God is a God of justice and judgment and God is a God of grace and mercy and providing ways that we do not have to deal with our own sin. He has given us a way if we respond as the Israelites did in faith. I'm sure some of the Israelites are going, I don't know, maybe we should write this out a little bit. You know, maybe, you know, the, you know, the Johnsons over there, they're getting their lamb out. You know, maybe we should do, okay, let's do it. I don't know how much of that went on. But what I do know is that those who put it over, when that death angel came, they, they found life. They found freedom. They found hope because they entrusted themselves in the God. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. In this meal, as they partook of the, the cup and the bread and the loaf and the bitter herbs, as they took of the lamb that was fixed, when they took of all, they remembered all of these components of God's provision. And it was in this context that Jesus looks at them and says, I am the bread of life. I am the lamb that will be slain. I am the one who will spill his blood in order to give you life. It was almost as if it, it became this reality. It popped out to them and to, he was trying to communicate to us that this is the new covenant, that I will be the one who lays his life down. I will be the one that when, when judgment comes, it will pass over you because you have chosen by faith to believe in the one and submit to him and allow his blood to cover us that we ourselves would not be recipients of that. What a meal. 
You're talking about a meal you remember. That's a meal you remember. But this is what I find interesting. I, I, I love it that this text in Matthew is very real. It's sort of like our own homes when we talk about mealtime, right? Fussing, feuding, fighting, people not happy all the time. See, we think of the Lord's Supper. When we, when we take it, it's like this peaceful moment. It's like this really quiet moment. I'm not sure it was that quiet in that upper room. I think there were guys talking. There were guys working through and talking about all kinds of stuff. And in the middle of all this conversation, um, you have this undergirding darkness. I don't know if you sense it in that upper room. But there's someone else in the shadows at work. And it's not a servant. It's Satan himself. And he's working in that room. And even the disciples themselves, when you read other accounts in that room, when they came up to, 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 to fix the meal and to serve it and to come and eat it, uh, one text says they began to argue about who was the greatest. Don't you think after three years they'd figure that out? I, I, I'm surprised that in the text that we don't have somewhere Jesus goes, okay, guys, I've had it up to here. You're done. I need a new 12. But he doesn't. And that really shows you how patient Jesus was with them and how patient Jesus is with us. But understand this, that lurking amongst them was Satan himself moving and arguing. And then Judas, unbeknown to the 11, Judas had cut a deal with the Sanhedrin. 30 pieces of silver. Judas had this tension with money and popularity. Judas was popular because he followed Jesus, but Judas' heart, heart was after so many other things. Judas, Judas in himself followed so closely to Jesus, and yet his heart was so follow, far away. You know how uncomfortable that meal had to be for Judas? Think about it. How uncomfortable would it have been knowing that you're living a lie, that you're about, you just paid off in order that, that, that Jesus would be, would be taken? Do you realize how uncomfortable? Even when Jesus calls them out, even when he called them out and says, that, hey, there's somebody here that's going to betray you. And when Jesus calls them out, even Judas himself, this fraud of a follower of Jesus, pretended all along, and yet now he still tries to think that he can outwit and outplay Jesus, even to the point he's thinking, well, everybody else is asking him, is it me? I probably, I better throw in, even though I know it's me, I better just pretend that it's not me just so that I can go along with the game. I got the others fooled. Maybe I have Jesus fooled as well. And Jesus is going, you don't have me fooled, Judas. You may be trying to betray me. You may be tricking everybody else. You may be fooling everybody else that's in, in this table, but Jesus is going, I know your heart. I know your mind. I know your plans. When we come to the Lord's Supper, it's a supper of betrayal, and it's a supper of transparency. Folks, we can fool each other a lot. You can come in here and smile. You can come in here and say, I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. And inside you're going, if you only knew. You wouldn't want me sitting next to you. If you only knew how much I'm struggling with God right now. If you only knew that I, I just, I can't overcome this addiction. If you only knew the pain that I've caused. If you only knew what I've done, you wouldn't do it. Instead, we, we smile. And Jesus is going, stop. Stop. Because when we're, when we're at dinner with Jesus, Jesus is looking right through all the garbage, the falsehood and the fake and everything that we, we do for each other. And Jesus goes, I see it and you're hurting and I know you're hurting. And what I love about Jesus with Judas and this scene so obvious in this text is this. Do you know where Judas is sitting? Judas is sitting to Jesus' right. 
Do you remember what were they arguing? Who's the greatest? They were arguing who could sit next to who. I don't know how all it panned out, but I had this feeling Jesus looks square in the Judas eyes and goes, come on, sit here. Now, if it has been me and I knew what Judas was up to, I'd have gone, hey, everybody, Peter, come right here, John, yeah, right there. Judas, how about in the back room? I don't want anything to do with you right now because I know exactly what you're up to. I don't like you. I don't want to look at you. I lo- you know, the, the statement, I don't like you right now, but I love you. I don't, you know, maybe use that with your kids. That's what you, you know, but no, Jesus goes, I love you, man. I don't want you right here. I know you're hurting. I know what you're about to do. And you've got to process through what you're about ready to do. And we're going to process through it together. And I'm going to give you opportunity. I'm going to give you a choice, Judas. You've got a plan and I've got a plan. And Judas, your plan right now, if you stick with it, it's going to lead you to some place you will regret. It's going to lead you to a place of destruction and death. It's going to lead you to a place I don't want you to go. And Judas, please, I am exposing you right now in front of these 11 guys and saying there's someone in here that is pretending, and I'm exposing you, but all you got to do is confess it. Judas could have just confessed it. Judas going, it's me. Man, I've screwed up. Man, I've screwed up. I've screwed up. Man, Jesus, forgive me. I don't know what I've done. What am I? Not, yes, it was prophesied. Yes, it was all these things. You can read through all the scriptures. I get that. But what we're seeing in this text is Jesus saying, listen, Judas, you have an opportunity to make a different choice. And Judas looked at him and he dipped his hand with him in the bread. And it says he took the bread. And when he did that, and when he, when he did that, it says that Satan entered in. In that moment, Judas goes, no, Jesus, I'm all in the other way. I'm out of here. And he left. See, this is, this is what I love about Jesus today. We're going to take the Lord's Supper here in a little bit. And when we take that, we're going to come in, and it's going to be intimate. And we're going to want to try to pretend. We're going to try to th- come up with excuses. And, folks, it's time to stop. It's time to just lay it down every day and just say, God, I need you. I need you. I am this. I am the sinner that I know that I am. I'm not going to beat myself up because grace rebuilds me. Grace rebuilds me. It rebuilds us. And Judas was given this opportunity. We're given this opportunity to become something greater than we are. It's this expectation of coming to Christ and finding this life that comes in the hymn. Judas chose to follow the father of lies. This is a costly dinner. It really is a costly dinner that Jesus is beginning to introduce to them. It's going to cost him his life. And in this costly dinner, nothing is cheap. Have you ever thought about this truth? Have you ever thought about this? In order for you to live, something has to die. It's like, what? Yeah. Yep. In order for you to live, something has to die. What are you going to have for lunch today? Anybody, give me out. What are you going to have for lunch today? Anybody know what they're going to have for lunch today? Chick, What? Chicken, Culver's, here in Culver's. Okay, so I got a chicken, we're having chicken, and we're having Culver's, right? And at Culver's, you can have chicken or beef, right? Does anything have to die for you to have lunch today? Let's say it out loud, yes or no? Yes. Something has died for us to have lunch today. Bread? Say, well, it's not living, it's not breathing. I get it, but it's material, right? In order for you to live, you will break it down. You will destroy it. If you're a vegetarian, it's like, oh man, I do not, I get it, it's, it's cool, I love it. Vegetarian, those vegetables are being destroyed. They are being broken down in order to give you life and nutrients. Without death, you do not have life in your body. That is a truth, grasp it. 
And Jesus is saying to us today, listen, if you want life, if you want real life, death is required in order that we may have this life. And Jesus is telling them, listen, take this cup. This is my body. This is the cup, the blood that is shed in order that you may have everlasting life, the forgiveness. Take this, this, this bread. It's my body for you. Jesus is revealing to them. He is saying to the disciples, listen, this is my plan. I will die to give you life. I will give up so that you can have I will, I will surrender in order that you may be free. This is the Jesus who calls us to dine with him. This is the plan of God to restore us back to him, that his blood, his blood is used in order that it may transform our lives and cover us. I want you to know that the most powerful thing in our world is not man-made, but it is the blood of Christ, because it's the blood of Christ and only the blood of Christ that is able to break our chains to sin in our life and our mind that rules over us. And it is Jesus on the cross and the resurrected living Jesus who gives us this power to overcome, not our own self-power, not our own self-will, but the blood of Christ. And unless I long for him and need him, and if I say in my own heart, I can do it on my own, then you are depending on the powers that can do nothing to break us from the chains we so much long to be broken for. Listen. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. When I hear those words, Jesus is saying, you want satisfied? Because all of us want to be satisfied, right? We want our needs to be met. Jesus is going, it's me. It's me. Yes, you go after all these things on this earth. Yes, you think that this, I have this physical need, so I need to eat, and I need to eat some more. I want clothes, so I need to buy more clothes. I want nice, nice things. I chase, I chase, I chase all these things in the world because I want somehow for my soul to feel full. I want to feel self-gratification. But the problem is, if we chase all the things that the world throws out on the dinner table for us, we end up eating junk food that ends up killing us. I've been in Haiti a few times. And in Haiti, one of the things in the main diet that they use is bananas. That is your meal. What's for lunch today, mom? Bananas. What's for dinner? We don't have dinner. One meal a day, bananas. And they take them and they deep fry them. You know how much nutritional value is in bananas? Zero. Got some potassium in there, you got a few other things. Nothing. You're feeding your children bananas. You're eating as a man, bananas. As a wife, bananas. Every day you eat bananas. Because you eat bananas, it's all you can afford to buy and to have or to get or to trade for is bananas. And every time you eat bananas, what you do is this. You fill your stomach. And the mind and the body tells you it's okay. Because when your stomach's full, you can sleep. When your stomach's full, you can feel okay. You can, you can endure and live. But you know what is happening to the body? It's dying. The children are dying because all they have is bananas. The adults that have gotten to be older or not been sick and diseased, they're dying. They are physically dying while they think their stomachs are full. Listen, too many of us who follow Jesus are filling our stomachs with this world and we're dying. We come to church, it all looks good, but in reality, we, are, we have filled our bodies with so much that we, we no longer need Jesus. When is the last time you physically physically and mentally said, I just need Jesus today. I need, I need him 
alone. I don't need I don't need noise. I don't need TV. I don't need game. I don't need phone. I don't need spouse. I don't need kids. I right now soul longs for Jesus. I need him. I want him. I can't live without him. I can't live tomorrow without him. I long for my Savior to walk with me. I long for him today. What in your whole body longs for Jesus. When's the last time you've had that and done that, even an inkling of that? And I say that to encourage us and maybe to look at my own life and go, listen, I go through sometimes days and that longing is never there. And I think, what am I doing? I'm living separate for him. I need him. And Jesus is saying, I and I alone are the sufficient one. I want us to stir with inside of us a hunger. I want to stir with inside of us when we come around the table a longing for Jesus. I need you, Jesus, because without you, I'm lost. Without you, I struggle. Without you, I don't know peace. Without you, but with you, oh man, with you, I have hope. I have joy. I'm satisfied because all these things of this earth, they don't matter. I'd like to close with just a prayer. A.W. Tozer has written this prayer. It's one that I found a few months ago that I read quite often as I ask God to stir with inside of my heart this longing to stay at the table with Jesus. Would you bow with me and listen? Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory. I pray thee so that I may know thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love. My fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty low land where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen.